to me, it seems like this is the best time for us to make an impact and to come together as a profession in order to figure out what we want that leadership to look like on that macro level. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPaws Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. FurPaws Consulting has deep expertise in helping veterinary practices reach their full potential for all types of practices, whether specialty, emergency, or general practice, by working alongside the practice owner and manager. Are you a practice owner or practice manager with a challenge and not enough bandwidth to tackle it? Reach out to me, Andrea Crabtree, owner of FurPaws Consulting, with the question that keeps you up at night. I'm able to provide expertise and insight to navigate those tricky obstacles. Find my info in the show notes. Email me at andrea at furpaws.us or check out my website at www.furpawsconsulting.com. Welcome back, Positive Leaders. It is so great to be back with you again, and we're super duper excited to have our guest on. Sam Shopler is a veterinary student at North Carolina State University, and he is the Veterinary Alliances Director at Pet Desk. Welcome, Sam. Thank you. So excited to be here. Welcome, Sam. I'm excited to have you on the show today. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Uh, you and I did a podcast together. I think it was at 2021. It was it was a, a while ago. Yeah. And we know that you're connected. You're a vet student, but you're also kind of connected with pet desk and veterinary technology and a bunch of other stuff, tech stuff and vet med. And so, yeah, we're excited to have you on and just kind of chat about the industry. And <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> so without having to read your bio, because we do not read stuffy bios on the Positive Leadership Podcast, can you tell us about yourself and what would our listeners want to know about you? Yeah, well, you already gave them a little bit of a spoiler in terms of how I am involved with the veterinary industry. And so I think just giving a little brief, more detail, my dad and aunt are both actually veterinarians. And so I grew up knowing that I would never be a vet. I like saw what they did and I was like, oh, I can't be like my dad. So throughout my entire youth, I was just going to be a professional basketball player. And um, I ended up studying abroad in Madagascar and going to the College of Worcester, where we were all required to do a thesis. And, and that's actually what piqued my curiosity into veterinary medicine. And so at that point, I was in this huge debt of prerequisites. And so why not take your prerequisites out in San Diego, California? So I moved from the East Coast to San Diego and ended up finding myself basically one of the first hires pet desk. And so my introduction to the veterinary industry was through helping build out this startup. Um, and because of the fact that I wanted to be a veterinarian one day, I was kind of the closest thing that we had at that time to a veterinarian. So our CEO was just like, all right, Sam, you go interface with the industry. You go to the conferences, speak at the conferences, speak at the vet schools. And so I was getting this really amazing kind of education or, you know, it felt like a master's degree in, in business management on the veterinary level. And so I delayed going back to school for about five years um, to continue working and growing the company. And during that time, I joined Vet Partners and started to just get involved with more and more groups that I felt were having an impact on a larger scale. So went to the Veterinary Innovation Summit and tried to get involved there as much as possible. Um, and so now that I'm in vet school, my focus is very much just, you know, trying to make as big an impact as I can on the future of the profession from the standpoint of making sure 
that we're putting veterinarians and individuals that are actually healthcare providers in positions of power as we move into this more corporatized, more telemedicine heavy and more technology focused version of our profession. So that's a long-winded bio. <laughs> that's awesome. Cool. Uh, it's, yeah, that's I great. Mean, you're, yeah, you're speaking our language, right? Veterinary business, right. telemedicine, you know, veterinary innovation summit, all the good stuff. <laughs> all the cool yeah. fun things. Yeah. And what a journey well traveled. Like, right. I didn't know, I mean, it's like, amazing. a whole journey through Africa and back. Like, never would have Yeah, been. yeah, totally. So we also like to have our listeners or our guests comment on a favorite, like a book or a podcast or a course you took um, that really left a lasting effect on you. Can you share that with the listeners? Ooh, so tough. I, f- I feel like I get, I get, I'm easily excited. So I feel like it's usually the last thing that excited me. And for me, this year has been kind of a deep dive in my free time, just reading like social, social psychology books. Um, and one of the ones that, that I really enjoyed just from a personal perspective was called Humankind. And the thing that I really appreciated about that book was just the fact that uh, as a society, you know, we're in this constant evolution of how we're interacting with each other from like this biological perspective, but then all the ways that we have been brought up and cultured and the book is basically just outlining how amazingly unique humans are in terms of our ability to, you know, have curiosity and to to be altruistic and, you know, what other ape has eyeballs that show so much sclera so that all other individuals can see exactly where we're looking. And, you know, from the individual perspective, that's not maybe advantageous, but from the ability to share information and communicate to others, it's extremely beneficial. And so the same thing could be said for blushing and you know, it's just this really interesting way to look at kind of what our foundations are as a species. And to me, that's been really encouraging just to bring into the way that I'm trying to relate to people and what I'm, you know, hoping to manifest within the teams I work with and, you know, eventually like the the industry that we work in. Wow, that's absolutely fascinating. So what was the book called again? He, the He-Man something? <laughs> yeah, it sounded like he, He-Man. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> human, or some people would say Umen, kind. So humankind. Oh, got it. Human. Oh, okay. Humankind. Got it. Because it's like human is is one color and then kind is another color. And but yeah, it's a great book. That is absolutely fascinating. Huh. Well, Sam, as a third year vet student, you are, I mean, I think well networked and branded as kind of, you know, an understatement for where you're at, not even having graduated yet, which is an incredible credible testament to you as well as the ability for veterinary students and I guess pre-credentialed veterinary professionals to get business training and network and connect. Um, Obviously, you have a passion for business and and leadership and kind of running that side of the business. You know, understanding our profession hasn't really placed that high of a value on that. Obviously, the focus has always been clinical. So since that's your lens, why veterinary medicine and what is it specifically about veterinary business, veterinary leadership? that seems like you would integrate that into your career, essentially, as long as you're in our profession? Well, it's almost because of the fact that it may not have been a priority, or if you look at it a different way, we're at this crux now where the landscape is is changing. And I think there's always been pressure on the veterinary industry, especially the business side. But because of that triforce of like technology exponentially growing and corporatization feeling like, you know, hospitals are being purchased as at an increased rate and technology in form of telemedicine is becoming a bigger part of our day-to-day interaction with patients and clients. To me, it seems like this is the best time for us to make an impact and to come together as a profession in order to figure out what we want that leadership to look like on that macro level. And when I was deciding, you know, after that adventure in Madagascar, studying the hibernation of lemurs, I was like working with practitioners and I had an opportunity to work with both human doctors and animal doctors. And coming back from that experience, I thought, oh, maybe I could go into medicine. And so at first, honestly, it was pediatrics. I thought I wanted to work with kids and I shadowed a bunch of pediatricians and people that I shadowed didn't enjoy their jobs as much as they did 15 years prior. And they talked about how you know, there was this increased bureaucracy and the fact that they didn't feel like they spent much time with their patients. And so that was a big piece of me leaning towards veterinary medicine, because one, I recognized attached to every leash or lead rope is a human. So I still got to work with humans. But 
we are behind, you know, the human medical field in terms of what that landscape looks like from a business perspective. And so there is this opportunity now for us to, you know, take a different and alternate route than what we might see in in terms of human medicine, which is largely kind of laddering up to cost capture and time savings. And so I just don't know that those two key performance indicators are the best in terms of what it means for overall health. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm really eager to, to be involved in the conversations that I've been lucky enough to partake in around how we can actually forge a different path in veterinary medicine than what we've seen on the human side. I find your perspective on, I want to say developing leaders or understanding leaders or really understanding the human aspect of it. Very fascinating coming from, well, I mean, I guess you're a student, so you're at that stage where you're super inquisitive about things and trying to understand, you know, where all that fits in and especially in veterinary medicine. I don't know. I just, I just dig that perspective. We have talked several times, Sam, about developing leadership in our profession and what that looks like. Developing people as better leaders, students, right? We've talked about from a macro level in organized medicine to the micro level. We've talked about everyday practice and what that looks like to develop leaders. Being that you are a student and have a complete different lens that David and I see it. I would say we're been in practice for many, many years and very jaded. <laughs> we have a very foggy lens, I'm going to say. <laughs> but you, Sam, you're, I feel like you have this fresh lens and you're so inquisitive and wanting to know and where it all fits in and, and understanding how important good leadership is to you being a student, but specifically as you're entering our profession as an upcoming veterinary associate. How does leadership affect you? Where do you see leadership affecting associates? So I hesitate to answer any questions purely from the student perspective because I feel so biased from my experience and continued involvement with the profession outside of academia. And I I certainly wouldn't want to pretend that I represent the opinions of veterinary students in general. I'm probably an oddball. So a lot of the way that I've thought through leadership really did come from my experience, especially early days with PetDesk. The solution that PetDesk provides is one that integrates with the practice management system, which, no pun intended, is kind of the cornerstone of the technology that's being used at a hospital and in large part (laughs) connects (laughs) with every aspect of the business. And so when I was starting out at that company, I was just super curious about how each business ran and what different leaders within the practice prioritized in terms of what did they want to get out of their client communication experience? What did they want you know, their clients to leave their hospital thinking other than this was a great medical experience? And does that kind of mission and vision actually transcend their own idea and make its way into kind of the sentiment of all of the staff members? So in consulting with probably thousands of veterinary hospitals, what I came to find is that there isn't a strong sense in most practices around that mission and vision of like, what is the Sam Shopler Animal Hospital going to provide for its customers that is unique? And what is that thing that I'm going to leave the hospital thinking and feeling every single time? And what are, what is that aspiration for us as a team to provide to our clients outside of what we're providing to the patients, which is hopefully just the best darn medical care we can. And so I think coming into what I want out of a leader when I join a practice, I think it's the exemplification and the confidence in whatever that mission and clinic values happen to be. And I think to me, that speaks to an ability to not represent what one individual can contribute to this group, but what the group can contribute as a whole. And I would argue that most millennials, <laughs> you know, entering the workforce want something similar because really they they want to know that change is something that practices are open to and that their leaders are open to and that curiosity is embraced because I think largely that's where there is a generational difference is just the amount of change that I've seen in my lifetime and especially in terms of technology is just different than the amount of change that somebody who was born in the fifties has experienced. You know, the last 30 years have been crazy. And so I think that's where I look at leadership and start to question, you know, okay, what do you believe are the values of this hospital? And then, you know, taking that to the rest of the team and finding out from them if they feel the same. Yeah, I hear that. What I hear a lot, you 
say kind of a common theme is, is like, right. Be inquisitive is ask, ask, ask. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's an interesting point. I agree. I want to transition slightly, but also I think it's on the same vein. So, you know, you're a third year, you may already have job offers to be frank, but if you don't, you will definitely have job offers before you finish next year. And so depending on what you're planning to do, if you do plan to go into practice, or if you, you know, plan to do an internship, then it's a different process. But if you do plan to go right into practice, you're going to have offers. And so I, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't get a chance to kind of poke around your brain a little bit and figure out, you know, what exactly that you're looking for, you know, so thinking about having a couple of offers on the table, what are some questions? What are some key areas you would consider? And what would you look for in a practice that you would decide to accept an offer to work for? And I think, you know, this is something that many of us who are in the position of hiring don't get a chance to do a lot is to really sit down with a student in a non kind of, I guess I'll say like threatening, like you don't have, a, you know, we're not giving you an offer. So it's not like the pressure's on and to really say, what are you actually looking for? And what are you going to be, you know, asking in terms of follow up questions when practices send you their, you know, PDF or, uh, or offer or verbal offer when you're ready to start practice? Yeah. Well, again, I think me as an individual is maybe a little bit different. So I'll start there. And then with that caveat, move into what I think in general. But I think it's a great segue from the last question, because I would do the same thing. I would go to the rest of the team and ask them what their experience has been, you know, from the customer service representatives to the technicians and figure out really what, because I look at it like I'm interviewing my future employer. Because look, frankly, it's not the fact that that I've got this history in the industry or that I'll be graduating in, you know, May of 2024 is that I've got a pulse and that I will be a accredited veterinarian. Like there's just such a shortage that there are job offers, you know, we've got options as veterinary students once, once we enter the market. So I think that for me, it really comes down to the fact that like, I don't look at myself as a future veterinarian and I don't look at myself as like an employee of a company, I look at myself as somebody who wants to continue and foster relationships with people that are meaningful and to feel like I'm having an impact in the work that I'm doing day to day. I want the things that I put time into to ladder up to a version of myself that I'm going to be happy to look back on when I'm a, hopefully like a 95 year old man. And so I think that really does have to do with are the things that I am curious about things that you're willing to help me explore with whatever grace is available in my job description. You know, if I'm a veterinarian that wants to be able to dabble in exotics, or if I want to, you know, look into this new tool, like not saying that, that you're going to do it, but being like, let's get curious about this and find out if, does it make sense for our business plan? Does it make sense for what we want to provide to our patients and our clients? And so I, I would say that similarly, you know, my peers would probably want something similar, just the confidence in the team embracing what they may or may not want to be doing in two years, because we're all graduating with a very skewed perspective on what medicine is. I'm not saying it's skewed, good or bad, but certainly what we learn in school is kind of this, in most cases, this gold standard. That's just not the reality of the gray area that we fall into with what clients can afford and everything else. So that I think is a really big piece is just me feeling comfortable to come in and being able to not know what I want to do in two years and feel like there's an opportunity for me to have that conversation with the rest of my team. I think, Sam, that that's important that we highlight that you need to be able to have a transparent conversation with leadership in your practice about those types of things. And what really happens in practice, meaning is that availability or is that allowed or is it real, right? Can you actually go to your boss or even, you know, wh whoever leadership is in, in, in the practice and say, hey, listen, I want to work with exotics or I want that new piece of equipment and really being able to have those, what I would call a courageous conversation, because traditionally those conversations may not be welcome from an associate or a new grad or from another team member. Or if they were, they were maybe dismissed Yeah, very easily. Of, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a new shiny whistle. We're not getting that move on. And so I would like to highlight that. Like we have to make that a priority that we can actually talk to our team, whether it's a CSR, whether it's, you know, Kennel, whether it's an associate and say, hey, where are you? 
And what is it that you want to look at in your professional career? Is it exotics, right? What is it? What's happening with you? Where are you at? Where can I as a leader better support you? And, and is it feasible or not? Maybe it's just not feasible. Yeah. So having that discussion and w- working through that is, is this the profit center that's going to be self-sustaining? Is this yeah. something that can you know generate enough revenue to pay for itself? Those are all questions that, again, comes back to like, you have to have the conversation. You have to even begin to go there, right? Yeah. I hear so many associates that want to talk about mentorship and even technicians that want to talk about mentorship from from senior technicians. And I mean, that's why I coach managers because there isn't anybody out there, at least when I was, you know, learning how to manage, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And that mentorship is a big part of, I think what you're talking about is, you know, developing yourself into, I don't know what I want to do yet, right? Maybe I do want to work with exotics. Maybe I do want to try this new piece of IT equipment or, you know, AI or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, right, having that conversation, talking about mentorship, Mm -hmm. making sure that we have transparent conversations about what you're looking for and can we provide it? And how do you think that looks like for you I hear you say that you want to be able to go talk to your leader. How does that look like for you? What does that mean for for a new grad to come into the profession and say, hey, I don't know what I want yet, but maybe we dabble in this. Yeah. What are some of those key, how do those key conversations look to you? Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, the conversation around mentorship is just so interesting to me. I think it's the word itself has become a little bit like diluted because it is something that new grads crave and and maybe even need but in order to attract students and now everybody's saying that they got mentorship and like what does that what does mentorship mean so like defining what mentorship means at a practice is like a very useful thing and in my mind you know just going back to the previous question like this weird misconception that asking people what they want or what they're curious about is like misconstrued as like giving them permission to be annoyed with how things are or that it like somehow is like a permission to do all the things that they want. But like, that's not the case. That's just finding out where people's curiosities are. And that goes to the mentorship piece where like, I truly believe that there's a lot that we can learn about mentorship that exists outside of veterinary medicine. And so for practices to be able to, to say, like, we can pull things from other industries and we can even pull coaches from other industries to help our new grads navigate what is just maybe their first job outside of academia. And so the mentorship piece, I think, you know, there's maybe two sides to that. One is we get a limited exposure to certain techniques while we're in school. And there's this, you know, kind of ubiquitous imposter syndrome that everybody talks about in students and graduating and then getting thrown into medical practice is an intimidating feat for people. And so there's like that oh, for sure. yeah. leadership that's super important, right? But like being an awesome practitioner doesn't make you a great mentor. And I think in a lot of cases for students, the mentorship that they want isn't necessarily like, can you teach me how to do this TPLO? That is going to be something that they want to learn, but you don't need somebody to be a great mentor in order to do that necessarily. And so like, I would like to separate kind of the two things. And one would be like the medical aspect. The other would be like, how am I integrating into a team atmosphere and how am I integrating into the workforce in general? How am I managing my lifestyle now that I live in Walla Walla, Washington, instead of Raleigh, North Carolina, you know, like there are all these changes that happen when you graduate that have nothing to do with the medicine and have a lot to do with just my comfort as an individual entering the workforce. And so, yeah, I just, yes. I think. I love that. Being able to partition aspects of what I might want as a new associate, and it may not be something that you can provide for me, but if you're my the leader at the practice, being able to say, hey, like, Sam, let's figure out how we can get you better exposure to, you know, techniques of working with fractious clients. <laughs> Maybe it's not the cat. That you're, yes, you know, but, exactly. But how do you deal with people? And like getting me coaching, does, that doesn't have to happen from somebody in the veterinary profession. You know, that could be something that we could help set up on the side. Yeah. So I think that that would be kind of where I take it. 
Yeah. And I like the way that you split that because I do see that mentorship coming. Like I don't even look at it through the medical lens and the fact of you're going to figure out how to do a spay. And yes, you're going to spend time with, you know, the practice owner or a good surgeon or whatever the case may be like that will come. And if you're struggling in a certain area, then we can, you know, work on that, right? We can work on how to decrease your spay time or working up a case. Like we can develop that, that to me, that's a, a skill that can be taught from the medical side. But I love the fact that you honed in on there's the essential skills that are not taught. And maybe that's how to communicate a treatment plan to your customer, your client, yeah. right? Or how to, yeah, have difficult conversations or treat the team, right? Or have open conversations with the practice owner or yeah are you adjusting to the new area that you're living in yeah I love that and that's you know I take that for advantage of that's what I think about when I think about mentorship and it's not just case review right and I do appreciate the fact that your generation I think is really asking for more of that type of mentorship than anything else where before it was so workforce you know work clients, cases, you know, that medical surgical focus, if you will. And now we have a shift away from that. So Sam, when you're on your tour of practices, and you're getting ready to, you know, to visit these practices and start to think about making decisions, what if I was the owner, if I was a veterinarian owner, of, or the manager, you know, whichever ABC Animal Hospital in, (laughs) in Walla Walla, Washington, and that's where you end up, you know, what would I need to do in order to make my practice stand out to you and, and for you to accept a position with me. Obviously, you know, we have limited time together and you'll be seeing the practice essentially as is. But if you were to provide some, you know, tips or just what's in it for you, we can present this message to all of our listeners to say, mm-hmm. hey, this is what in aggregate, right? And I, I know that you're like, I'm a one-off, but in, yeah. in some sort of N of one, what veterinary students are looking for and, and frankly, how we should get our practices ready when we have visits and and host you guys. Yeah. I think for me, it's such a comfort to, I I mean, not to keep haranguing the same point, but being able to point to a really clear statement of this is what our practice stands for. These are the things that we want to accomplish with every client visit and every patient interaction. It's such a comfort because what if that person that I really admire, my, my mentor or the practice owner goes on vacation for two months? Or what if that client comes in and nobody's around to help? How do I negotiate that really tough conversation with them if they're yelling at me because they've been waiting in the parking lot for an hour? And to me, it's been so useful to be a part of organizations that have really clear mission and values so that I can point to that and I can say like, I totally hear how upset you are. And like, these are the things that I'm that I'm hearing from you. And regardless of what I think, like, this is the the way that our hospital runs. This is the way that we're doing things. And like, I'm certainly willing to take this feedback and we can try to incorporate it into the way that we operate. But it's so easy for me to have a more difficult conversation if I can like use this framework or this umbrella of like within the confines of this business that I'm working for, I know exactly what their policies are and what their kind of attitude is towards client interactions, I think is the biggest one. And so I think it just relieves some of the pressure for me to make up a choice about what I think is right in difficult situations. And it's a little bit easier to just say like, oh, this is what we do when it comes to blank. And, you know, for me, that's like the cultural aspect of the group of people I'm going to be working for. That's the matrix by which I, you know, interact in between every single appointment every single blood draw, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with those people in the hallway and negotiating that giant puppy, great Dane, as it bounces through the, the hall. And I'm trying to like do a fecal float or whatever, like, like those are the people you have to clean up those spills with. And so like, I want to know that we all have an understanding of what we want to get out of our interactions day to day in the hospital. I find that when you say that you want a clear picture, let's say of what the practice is, I find that interesting that you can, so that whole concept, if you can align yourself with, or maybe not, right, you're interviewing, so maybe not align yourself with this particular practice, because this is where their policies and procedures and culture and kind of mission, vision, value statement, like this is where 
they align, this is how they handle things. And I can either align with that or not. I find that interesting that, you know, you didn't mention pay or culture or technology or anything like that, that you're really focusing in on. Can I align myself with this practice and what they stand for? And I will have to say that I truly, honestly believe that when we work on mission and vision statements and they, you know, put them up on the wall and they collect us and nobody can ever remember what they really say. It's something about, you know, good medicine and, you know, excellent client care, but they don't really draw a clear picture of like what you're saying is this is how we handle these situations. This is our, the crux of our, of our practice, or this is really who we are. This is how we handle things. And I really see more of almost like ethics or value statements. You know, we will never lie to a client. We will never hide behind, you know, our mistakes. We will learn from these and consider these opportunities for growth, whatever it may be that we have these, you know, value statements in our practices. It says, this is how we handle it. Actually, we will never lie to a client. And when you say that, when a, you know, a hospital comes to you at, or again, back to the interview, and you can say, here's some value statements is how we understand, how we yeah. work, how to get to the, the, the crux of our businesses, these certain things, right? We consider mistakes as learning opportunities. We'll never lie to a client. We will be honest with each other. I don't know, whatever they are, yeah. right? Well, that I, those are things that you value an interview or understanding who the practice really is. Very interesting to me. And I think from that practice perspective, right, when we're like going through the tools and doing the sandboxing to like figure these things out as a business coming from that opposite perspective of like, okay, well, what actually is our ideal customer? Like what is that ideal customer that like we would want to see all the time? Like these are the people that we feel we serve the best that we can provide the best care for. Like not every hospital can provide the best care for every single demographic of pet owner. And that's probably true. Correct. And so like coming from it from that perspective can help to identify where the values really sit. And that can help identify when there are customers that don't fit that if they're being rude or they're being racist or, you know, there's like all these scenarios where it's like, well, what do we do about that? It can help to, to kind of come from a different perspective. And I think there's a lot of tools where you can workshop from a business perspective, just really how to hone in on what those values mean for you and your team. Hone in on that. And right. then I think, yeah. you know, from like the interview process, like to me, if, if a practice was like, Sam, historically we have like tried to give ourselves an hour lunch break and we run through it. And, you know, we want to like make sure that we give everybody a chance, but there are days where we, where we run, run through lunch. And like, when we go against something that we're trying to do, how would you want us to respond to that? And asking the question, just like putting it out on the table, like, hey, we know that we're not going to be able to do everything super, super well. But like, how do you want us to respond to one of these difficult situations? Like as somebody who would be interviewing in that, I think I would really be taken aback and be like, wow, this is a practice that's willing to grow. And it's not that you're. And has some emotional intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, you know, that's another thing is just like ask some scary questions to your potential associates during the interview process, the ones that you actually want feedback about. It's not just a show of like, we have all the best tools and we're great and we have great mentorship and we do everything super well, because that's just not going to be the case. You can't do everything super, super well. Right. So let's say we hired you, we've landed you as an associate and you are at our practice. Now, I will tell you that the statistics for new hire graduates are startling. I was shocked when I saw them at this last couple of weeks ago at the Vet Partners Conference in Las Vegas. They had shown some statistics about the turnover rate for employment for new grads at their first job, if they stay five years at their first job, and then was very, very low and not that much better for those first graduates going to their first job post-graduation that stayed longer than two years. I was startled at the numbers and the high turnover rate there. So now that we have you as an associate at our practice, what can a practice do to help keep you employed? Like, I don't want to go find another doctor in two years or five years. I want you there. So how can we keep you employed once you've signed our employment agreement? Yeah. Well, I I really feel like I hopefully I'm not being redundant, but I think that as an employee and as a 
future graduate, I will want some assurance that there's a chance that I can change what I'm interested in, that there's a chance that I can, I probably most people leave practices because they're like, oh, this isn't what I thought it would be, right? Like there's going to be some level of, of just like, I thought I wanted, I mean, some of it's just going to be like, I wanted to be an equine vet and now I hate horses. (laughs) Like I want to go work with small animals now, but yeah, but I think within like the same kind of focus area, there's just an amount of unpredictable growth that happens in those first few years and being able to continuously have a conversation with your associate about Hey, Sam, like, let's check in. Like, are the things that you want to do to grow as a veterinarian things that you feel like you're getting done here at the hospital? What do those things look like? You know, how do you integrate the aspects of your curiosity as an individual practitioner with the things that we're doing here at Blank Animal Hospital in Walla Walla, Washington? And I think continuously giving that intentionally having those types of conversations and giving room for deep thought and curiosity is super, super important. Um, And sometimes it takes Mm -hmm. being really deliberate, like, Hey, we're just going to have like a 15 minute check-in every two months. And if Mm -hmm. you just sit there and like, just don't talk for 15 minutes, that's fine. Because the point of this stare at the wall, (laughs) awkward silence (laughs) and spend some time together and make sure that we're aligned on like where you feel like you can grow the most. And I think that, you know, that's like generalized mm-hmm. advice for any company. But yeah, I yeah, think that's sure. a big, big piece. Yeah, mm-hmm. just back to just Interesting. Ask, right? I always feel like the stay interview, the question of, you know, why do you stay here? I mean, obviously not to not to discount the personal and professional kind of growth or investigation around alignment that you mentioned. But I think there's also, you know, some usefulness to actually which I think is a very vulnerable question to ask, right? Because the answer could be, I don't want to stay here. Yeah. <laughs> but if you work really hard as an owner and create the right. culture and, you know, you ask people, why do you stay? Then yeah. you get a lot of great feedback. That's, but that's the thing is like, if the answer is, I don't want to be here, don't you want to know that? Like, shouldn't we be asking that yeah, question would think so. all the time? Like, right. Because <laughs> right. it's, it's better and if to they be don't want to be there and it, if it's apparent, maybe they shouldn't be there. Right. Like, and yeah. it's not personal. It's just, we're on the same page. So, right. So as we start to kind of get towards the last part of the podcast, you don't have a ton of in-clinic experience, which I don't think hopefully it does not offensive to you. You would own that. No. But yeah. I do think yeah. that your perspective is really useful. And as, again, we've it's been great to talk with somebody who, as you said, you, really everything is kind of grass is greener because you, you're not, you know, fortunately, you're not swayed or biased by some negative past experiences or, or just entrenched experiences. So having the experience you do, having started to spend some time in clinics, I would assume in vet school or, or just having done volunteer work and assistant work or whatever, just having been in hospitals at some point, what are like one or two things that you think vet, you know, this is like a major call out or kind of like a, a buckshot yeah. question. What are one or two things that veterinary practices could do better, do it better, do it different on a regular basis that really promote healthy culture for somebody in your generation. So as you said, the millennials, the middle to younger age millennials that you think you can just kind of like a disruptive type of thing that we just don't do well or historically have not done well. And you think we could do differently. Yeah. I think one is going back to just creating space and intentional time that you really try to hold for that individual interpersonal growth with that employee, right? Like, like actually dedicating 15 minutes for a different way of thinking to take place, whether you're like, I don't know, I was thinking about it earlier today, like, what if you just like, went on a curiosity journey with with somebody, and you were just like, what's something that you don't know anything about that you want to know more about? And then you guys, you get here in front of the computer, and you just like Google that thing. And then you like, go from there. And you say, Okay, what does this mean? What more do we want to know about it? And together, you just explore this unknown together. I think that's like a great team building exercise, but what it also provides is an opportunity to like exercise a different part of our brain than we might be doing day to day. And the other thing that, and this is like a complicated thought, so hopefully it comes out right, is that the divide between generations to me has been a little bit perplexing. It was true before the pandemic, but it's only been sharpened. Like the millennial attitude towards like, let's say technology or benefits It's just a mindset. Like the reason why millennials have the mindset around technology that they do is because they grew up 
steeped in technological change that happened over and over and over and over again. So through the eyes of a millennial, it's a little bit easier to get on board with new changes in technology. It's a little bit easier to like feel comfortable experimenting with tools and things like that. But you, we saw that millennialization take place within the older generations, even prior to the pandemic, where like actually probably more boomers on Facebook now <laughs> than, than millennials. But, you know, people adapt to technology and it really is a mindset around technology. I think the same is true for our feelings of like work-life balance and, you know, the benefits that we might want out of our employer. And so recognizing that just the opportunity to like engage with change is something that people are craving and millennials are probably craving, like having some type of strategy around change management or how to approach new tools in a structured manner is probably like a really good thing to have. And so, yeah, my, that's what I would want to implement if I owned a veterinary clinic would be like very intentional check-ins that you have a hard time displacing from the calendar and a structured way to implement change management and just in the ideation process of like just being open to change and recognizing that most of the things that I hear people being frustrated about when it comes to millennials is probably just a mindset piece (laughs) that everybody else is going to catch up to. (laughs) I mean, I'm joking about that last part, but (laughs) shout out to my other millennials. You know what I mean? I love millennials. I think that they're great because they make me stretch. They make me think of different ways I have to manage, think of different ways I have to keep them engaged. Um, and I'm constantly asking the why. And I, it goes back to like what you're saying, yeah. just be inquisitive about it, right? Just ask, have the conversation. I love that you say, be intentional, where we have a hard time displacing something off of our calendar, yeah. right? Make that the priority and be intentional well, about it. So, and it almost feels like, like the reason why millennials might want more benefits from their employers and want more time is is because there has just been this kind of notable instability in just you know a lot of different aspects of of life whether it's the climate or it's technology and so looking for stability and and understanding that as a perspective coming from wanting a little more stability i think makes it a little bit easier to be like oh okay Like these are the things that we can provide that make this feel a little more safe just in case things do change. And whether that changes my interest in equine medicine or, you know, I don't know, wanting to rock climb more. (laughs) Which are great things. Yeah. Work-life balance, right? Work-life integration. Can you give a piece of advice to our listeners, something that is important to you that you've learned throughout your career? Well, I I guess I actually (laughs) just did it. So in one of these social social psychology books, I read that the the audible noise that humans make when when they're being curious is true across languages and cultures and continents. And so every single human can recognize when somebody else is being curious because we all go, hmm. And hmm. <laughs> so to me, I found that out and I was like, that's super cool. I found myself being a little weird and like trying to hmm a little more in my day to day. Like when I felt myself being aggravated or frustrated or stuck, I would just insert a hmm. And it like changed the way that I was thinking about things. And there's actually like, you know, evidence that there are biochemical changes in our brain when we make that noise. And so that to me is like a a fun little anecdote, but getting more curious instead of being frustrated is probably a good thing most of the time. And there, there definitely are opportunities for all of us to insert a little more curiosity into what we're doing. And I think oh, yeah, a lot sure. of listeners are, are seeking advice because right now there are pressures on them that feel insurmountable potentially, that they feel isolated. And to me, I'm so excited to enter into the workforce and to enter into the veterinary field that because there are just all these changing aspects. And to me, it's like, wow, there's a lot going on and all these opportunities that come with it. And so I'm not saying that we can just like put a rosy tinted lens on everything, but taking a moment to just like get a little curious with yourself or with your team is like probably not going to hurt. Yes, I would 100% agree. Be inquisitive. Ask, can you share a time where either 
something happened at you know vet school or the clinics that you've interacted with through pet desk or or other areas, there are a time where you have just like stopped yourself, like jaw, jaw hit the ground and just said to yourself, like, no freaking way. I cannot make this shit up. This just happened. Do you have a story that you can share with us? <laughs> I like kept myself from going, hmm. Oh, you're supposed to do <laughs> that. It's, it is a different, <laughs> hmm. Does it del- just delay my response? Yeah, there was a moment. So when I first started working at Pet Desk, we were like calling practices and finding out, you know, what their practice management system was, how they set it up, what kind of client communications tools they had, and, you know, if they had a website, things like that. And I like was on the phone talking with these different practice managers and doctors. And it had been maybe like a week. And I, all these ideas and I brought them to my manager at the time and I was like, Hey, like, like I've got all these ideas. And like, I was thinking, what if we did X, Y, and Z? And my manager said, I'm so glad that my training let you think like that. (laughs) And to me, it was like such a, such a great combination of like, at first I was very taken aback and I was like, Like, that's a really weird thing to say. And then I was really annoyed. But then I was like, why do I care? And so that just really stuck with me for a long time. And I ended up talking to my manager about that, like a little, a little ways down the line. And we had a great conversation coming out of it. But to me, it was like, I guess my initial reaction was just like, what? Like, what? (laughs) How can you do that? What the hell? Right. What you say? Yeah. I'm so so glad that I let you think like that. It's like, what are you talking about? Mm. (laughs) Right. Uh, Me too? Right. Exactly. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So at this point in the show, we're going to go into the rapid fire. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. I was in fifth grade and I ran across the stage to go to my locker and my foot went inside of a hole and I pulled my own pants down with my foot and then tripped over my pants in front of all of my peers. And I was like, just so mortified. Tell me about your proudest moment. Wanting to go to vet school and my work in the industry was laddering up towards a better perspective that I would have once I became a practitioner. All of the things that I'm working towards are like coming together in harmony. And that was just like an overwhelming moment. Why veterinary medicine? What do you love about our profession? The amount that people care Self-care, how do you practice it? How do you decompress? Jump into the woods. I'm an avid mushroom hunter. I love finding plants. And so go outside and, and look at something living. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work or in your case, school guilt in the balance? I don't feel much guilt because I'm super interested in everything that I'm doing. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or cause you anxiety? Largely, it's these big picture concepts that I'll think about a lot. But like, you know, what are the things that I could be doing right now to try to maximize the impact I could have as an individual for this bright future that I envision for the profession? What gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? Boy, the ritual of coffee is just the best. What color best describes you and why? I know we barely know each other, David, but I want to hear from you. What color do you think best describes me? Oh, my. Interesting. First takes, maybe a yellow, kind of a mild, you know, kind of some red underneath, right? There's some fire there, but, you know, you don't run hot. Wow. That's just my initial guess. That's, I mean, that's an amazing answer, and I'll take it. I, I, my favorite color is like a deep forest green. 
So I don't know if that best describes me, but that's my favorite color. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you could be any animal, what would it be and why? Well, Andrea, <laughs> it's your turn. Okay, animal. You want to pick an animal that has a lot of impact on an ecosystem. Like a mosquito. I wouldn't call you a mosquito fan, but you said it. <laughs> no, I, I have such a hard time with that question because, like, anytime you play, like, the spirit animal game, uh, whenever people say what they want, I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Like, even mosquito, I'm like, wow, you know, what an incredible animal that's adapted to, like, inflate its body to four times its volume. And, like, there's so many cool things about every animal. But if I had to choose one, I think being a whale would be super cool because they're social and intelligent and have language and culture and music. And also the ocean is like 85% unexplored. So yeah, I would choose being a, a whale, maybe an orca. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Well, Sam, this has been great. Thank, Thank you, you so yeah. much for coming on. This was on. fun. This wonderful. I enjoyed to be it. here and I really appreciate the time. It's so nice to get to be with you all. Absolutely. Have a great weekend and uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Yeah. Thanks. You too. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast and be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed. 